0: Every time I hear the scientists as so well um, participate in conference calls or webinars or learn about the, the work that's been going on and it's, it's incredible and it's, it's really makes me feel hopeful and excited about what's, what's being done and what's coming. And that's what keeps me going, even though what else is going on around us and the political discord and yeah. the state of the pandemic right now is disheartening yeah. think, to think about that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's a better, there are better days ahead.
1: Whether you are an obsessed pandemic watcher like Charles or just want to know how to stay uninfected until the vaccines arrive this episode is for you. We bring you interviews with two people who have unique knowledge about the COVID pandemic. Find out what's going on with vaccine trials, what numbers to look for, and how to make your plan to stay safe through what will undoubtedly be a long, tough winter. Despite the grim statistics and stories of anti-mask pushback, our conversations this week left us feeling hopeful Knowing science is on the case and that human creativity, resilience and love will indeed triumph.
2: Indeed. Hello hotties. Welcome to the weekly podcast for people craving a sense of connectedness, a dose of empathy, a glimpse of the way forward and an opportunity to engage. This week we talk with our favorite epidemiologist, Christine Stewart, a professor at UC Davis and an old friend of mine. She helps us make sense of the vaccine trials and rollout. She also explains how her family gets its social and emotional needs met while staying safe and virus-free. And it turns out that Christine is not only a distinguished scientist, she's a brave research subject herself. Mm -hmm. Christine was one of thousands of volunteers in the Stage 3 vaccine trials. You'll get to hear about her experience with the Moderna vaccine and why I'm really excited to get a sore arm and a fever.
1: We also talk with our local health department's information officer Terry Farnetti, who makes us appreciate the courage and commitment all the hard-working people in our health infrastructures have demonstrated in the face of a massive health crisis combined with inconceivable blowback.
2: I think in this case you do know what that I word means. I do know what
1: that, it's inconceivable. Before we get started with the episode proper, though, we have a podcast update for you.
2: Yes. 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 Podcasts. Everybody cares about podcasts because this house, this marriage, and this podcast are actually defined by dedication to cats as much as anything else. Early in our relationship, Kelly and I bonded over our shared love for Santo, my cranky tuxedo cat. And we ended up showing each other the kind of commitment we were capable of as we cared for him through his kidney disease and demise.
1: Then came Bill, the loudmouth stray from Mayor Arizona just down the road. He charged in and took over the house and Charles's heart big time. Some of you dedicated listeners will remember him singing along with Candace Devine on episode 29. Bill's life on the road left him with feline immunodeficiency, diabetes, and eventual blindness. Again, Charles and I got to practice care, patience, and compassion together as we saw Bill off.
2: And Bill was a semi-planned adoption. Munchie, the other cat, the other podcat, just showed up. He was a neighborhood feral kitten who wandered up onto Kelly's lap, and that was that. Those two are 100% each other's. Munchie doesn't like it much when there are guests in the house, but he loves Zoom interviews because it means that Kelly creates a relatively still and long-lasting lap for him to lounge on. Careful pod listeners can hear Munchie bump Kelly's mic stand with some regularity since the
1: death of our dear bill a month and a half ago munchie has been a lonely loner and my friend christina who's had an abundance of cats in her tiny temporary house trailer she was looking to thin the herd a little bit that sounds callous but she was fostering a bunch of cats and she had a bunch of cats and not all the cats were getting along and she had a guy who was sounded like the perfect match for munch and for us so we are currently in day two of a scheme to make munchie and clydesdale J. calabasa fell deeply in love
2: we're already smitten with the kitten but it's up to munchie
1: we're meeting with mixed success so far but we remain hopeful that by next recording we'll be able to announce clyde as a proper full-time
2: podcast. so hopefully that podcast update was useful for you <laughs>
1: Or something. (laughs) It was useful
2: for us. I enjoyed writing it and I enjoyed saying it. Mm -hmm. All right. The tape is rolling. Check. Caffeine at optimal levels. Check. The cats are secured. They are secured in separate rooms. That's as it should be right now. Mm -hmm. And the microphones are hot. Check. We are here Here together.
1: together.
2: (laughs) How are you doing, Terry? How are you doing?
3: Well, you know, I managed to maintain my sanity. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Every day I get up and, you know, it's a, on the weekends it's tough. I I keep thinking numbers all weekend. Uh, mm. It's hard to get away from it.
1: Yeah, you I didn't know. even have weekends for for how long? The first 2 or 3
3: months at least. I think it was February through May, mm-hmm. right before right before Memorial Day.
2: You were we, you were working 7 days a week.
3: Yeah, and to, to and and doing two updates a day mm. just to keep up with the numbers.
2: Yeah, but just to to go back in time just a little bit, Terry. Like, I think I like a lot of people around the country have been introduced to institutions that we just sort of knew existed but didn't know anything about. Like now we all know about election boards and election certification teams and and all that. And now we know about, and I think we're going to even know more about our county health departments going forward because you guys are going to have such an important part to play in rolling out the vaccine. So what did the Yavapai County Health Department do before the pandemic?
3: Yeah, well, the county health department is uh, has a huge community health education department that works with schools, with uh, community gardens, with teaching kids about, you know, eating well and as well as, um, you know, as you get into the older grades, you know, it, it, with safe dates and making proud choices. And and they put on the teen days every year to that brings all kinds of organizations together that are promoting healthy choices for kids and teens. We also have our environmental health department, which are the people that are inspecting restaurants and pools and motels. And during this time, has been particularly interesting. Also, we have our disease prevention department, which is consists of our epidemiologists. We now have a fleet of contract tracers, or contact tracers. Sorry. Yeah. We also have nurses that go into homes to help with uh, young mothers with their babies, and that's our maternal, our maternal child health uh, program. They also have the neonatal nurses that yeah. also go into the homes. So, so we have a healthcare, healthcare workers as well as community m- nurses that do that work. We also have working with DCS where we help moms where they've been on drugs and stuff, mm-hmm. and the kids mm-hmm. might have it. Right, And then we also have, of course, our nutrition department that works with women, infants, and children. They also do the the food boxes for seniors. We also have the trauma lens care, which is fabulous. It's working with the schools and with the local uh, law enforcement. When they have to go to a home and they're, they're, there's kids and they're witnessing, maybe their dad getting dragged away or, or someone's dead or anything like that, it would be extremely traumatic that they contact the health department and the health department works with the administration at the school to make sure that that kid gets, you know, some extra TLC. There's the finding meaning and hope for working with people that are take caretakers of people with Alzheimer's and then there's a, and the diabetes. So there's, there's a lot of great work and all It, it it's this whole spectrum mm. of age.
2: Yeah, and there's you guys were filling a lot, and I, I know you will again when the pandemic is is rattled down a little bit. But you were fulfilling some really important needs, like Kelly was saying. You know, little tiny babies, our elders experiencing dementia. You know, folks with uh, HIV/AIDS.
3: We are working, um, and through the pandemic, uh, the community ed- health educators came up with fabulous ways to fill gaps. They created bags for seniors with toilet paper, with all the kind of things, and they deliver them and. They made bags for teens with journals and and all kinds of stuff that teens need. You know care packages. So,
2: so now that you know cases started showing up in in our county in March.
3: Yes, it was yeah. about March nineteenth or so.
2: Yep, and uh, we had a we had a, a bump in uh april and may and june and like we were talking about you know a whole girls school came down with it what, what has shifted for you all what has it been like to to deal with this pandemic up to this point and now we're now we're looking at another big wave
3: well you know we uh i spend a lot of time at the emergency operations center we work closely with yavapai county emergency management and we have our emergency preparedness. I forgot the emergency preparedness piece because that's what we, we've been, is the COVID response team. And with the state allocates PPE to us. We have a storeroom and everything. We line up uh, particular days when people can come and pick it up. So this necessarily is for schools and uh, first responders and nursing home facilities.
2: So you all became the the point of distribution for that. For yes, that really important like, set of resources.
3: Yes, and we also, um, of course, the communication piece has been big. You know, that's been ongoing to let the community keep them abreast of what's going on. Uh, it's uh, at times very frustrating because there's many people who don't don't uh, believe that this is happening. I have people say it to my face; they don't believe it. It's a hoax. So
2: um, you're working. You're working seven days a week to put out really, really accurate hoax numbers.
3: <laughs> yes, it's that, really, yeah. I just love it. I think it's just, I, I can't imagine a better job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic.
3: Oh, yes, I am. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's got to be really frustrating. This is, uh, you know, the biggest, really the biggest crisis that our generation and maybe the last couple of generations has faced.
3: Well, a hundred years. I mean, when was, uh, I mean, SARS was an H1N1. Um, I was here at the health department when we went through H1N1 and we did all in the mass vaccination things and all the volunteer nurses and people that we got to help with that. And we're going to be moving into that again as this COVID vaccine becomes available. Today, there was another call about it. And of course, you know, there's Pfizer, Moderna, and now AstraZeneca, and they are but are going to be the lesser expensive, the less difficult to handle. And you can only hope and pray that maybe we get that. However, we have bought the freezers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so we have to deal. We, you know, the state wanted everyone prepared by the 15th of November. Right. And so we got this funding. We did get funding. And so, so that we could prepare and, and buy the the freezers uh, to keep the, at the sub-zero temperatures and, And then just figuring out um, what the, the main thing is going to be getting it out to the people who will administer it. So the physicians and the hospitals and anybody that's interested in doing that has to onboard with ADHS to get the training on how to administer the vaccines. And I'm sure that's going to be ongoing if we get different ones. And the big thing is there's, Two doses, and so you want to make sure the first batch you get is the same one you get the second batch, so that you're giving the same vaccine. You have to give the same vaccine.
2: Oh, uh, so, so it, it, it might not. That's not, not complicated it, or anything. It might not work if if I get the AstraZeneca and then the the Pfizer one. Comes the Pfizer in one, no. yeah.
1: And then everybody else has to have freezers for the Pfizer one, so that's tricky. Yeah.
3: Well, the reason we're getting the freezers is we're going to storage it, store mm-hmm. it, and people have, and then. It can only it has to be it can can't be out thawing, and has to be used within a very specific set of time, several days maybe. So they have to have their ducks in a row in order to get have all those people lined up to get it. Whether that's, and of course it's going to be healthcare workers, and then the question comes up: Do you make everyone get it? Uh, that was the question that was being asked today. Uh, do you?
2: Yeah, no. I hope everybody. I hope everybody gets it because we'll need. Somewhere, what I the numbers that I see are somewhere between forty and sixty percent of people will need to be vaccinated in order for us to have that herd immunity that that folks want.
3: That's about how many people want it. Yeah, <laughs> it's everybody. It's like it's not going to be out for the normal population until summer, if not fall of next year. They're talking. Mm. Oh. The, the front line healthcare workers are going to be first, right? As well as first responders
2: what is it like you're kind of the first person you're one of the first people in the county to see what's happening and you guys have been really transparent really responsive getting these numbers out you know between 10 and 11 every day and we really appreciate that those of us who are numbers number junkies but what does it what does that feel like for you does does any emotion come up when you see those numbers change do you
3: well i do say wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there i i um particularly when I look at the hospitalizations. Um, that's the first thing I do when I get in is to check the hospitals. And then I go into the ADHS dashboard. I go through each county to see, you know, how many cases they've had overnight. I mean, we we kind of have to get a feel for how it is throughout the state
2: uh-huh.
3: and it is, you know, pretty rampant throughout the state uh, at this point. And then, I wait for the epidemiologist's report because what, what happens is ADHS reports the numbers from four, at, at, at 4.30 the day before. So the epidemiologist is getting all of the test results or, you know, getting all the other information that happens after 4.30. So that's why our numbers are considerably higher than what ADHS has, because we are seeing more cases overnight. So that's why I have to wait for his numbers to to get our our count for the day. When we get into the mortality and things, um ADHS, sometimes we don't we can't confirm what ADHS is reporting until after our epidemiologist look is it looks into them. But it's amazing how many people, there's a lot of data geeks out there that call me and want to talk and see how I come up with these numbers and things. Um, and so finally, I started um, putting together, a, you know, the da- the daily count by each town and city, and I've been keeping track of that since September 14th. Um, that you know that 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 I can put a two week spread and give it to the school schools so they can make better decisions based on the number of cases that we're seeing in the.
1: <laughs> yeah, that just communication and getting everybody coordinated across the state has to be, you know, in so many agencies and hospitals and the, uh, you know, the emergency clinics and just everybody who's doing testing to get everybody to do the same things the same way. has got to be just incredibly difficult.
3: Yeah. and I And I think, you know, they, I mean, the state has a huge job. I mean that that dashboard has so much information. If people really want to delve into it, you can find out anything you want. I mean they they it it's been you know touted as one of the the better systems in in the country, so that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, so what's been the what's been the biggest challenge for you since February?
3: The pushback. The the pushback is just exhausting. Exhausting. It's incredible to me that people cannot believe that this is real, that this is a pandemic, that this is a virus that none of us have had anything to do with. I mean, we have it's nobody's fault. It is just here. And um, to not take care of yourself and to to care about other people, it, it, that it, it, it blows my mind. Yeah, you and, guys
1: spend so much time and energy caring for so many people in this community, in the county, in all these communities. And then to see people just totally disregarding you trying to care for them, it's got to be really hard.
3: And the pushback is even at, you know, at at, at the level above us, Yeah, and, you know, as far as our Elected officials, you know, just to have an article in the Courier saying the three mayors are going to, you know, all refuse to mandate masks. I mean, that's your headline. I was on an interview with the mayor yesterday and he was saying what a minuscule number 4,167 cases is compared to our population. That's just a ping in the bucket. Mm. And that, you know, this is before I had a chance to say anything. (laughs) And I was glad not to have to say too much because I didn't want to be party to that. It puts you in an impossible situation. The uh, update that I couldn't post, I can't, I can't go anywhere with it, but I wrote it, is about that whole thing, about the pressure these public health officers in, in, uh, country, in communities, in counties across the country that are being forced into the public eye and having to be knowledgeable about everything on the spot and on all the time um, and how many have quit and how many have been fired and how many. And, and you know, the most recent ones in Oregon and that guy is like people love him. They think he's the best thing. And they're they're cracking down and, and they're and they're asking him to resign or to be fired. So,
2: yeah, because he's um, probably telling, telling people they should be wearing masks. Probably. Yeah.
3: Any yeah. you know, any measures that public health measures, if you push too hard, they're just, you know. Right.
2: Um,
3: and I just, you know, death threats and things like that for people, these particularly the women, um, public health I mean the woman woman in LA, she would has had, you know, you have to get have to get security. Right. Guards around them and their homes and everything. So mm-hmm. public health to be in a position where our advice is not necessarily heated.
2: And like you're saying, not just not heated or or there's not just that there's apathy around it, but there's Mm -hmm. it's it's rejected and questioned and Mm -hmm. vilified. Violently rejected, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, my little mistake today, I've got I've already got they they don't know what (laughs) they're
2: doing. Oh, so the least yeah, right. The least mistake feeds into the narrative that that government officials don't know what they're doing or they're corrupt or they're spreading a hoax or whatever.
3: or I re- or corrected it because it was a political move. Oh no. Uh, I corrected it because I made a mistake.
1: Right. right. <laughs> and you got you're drinking out of a fire hose of information.
2: This is one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast, and you know, we interviewed not for this particular podcast, but we interviewed uh, Joe Howard a, f- uh, a few weeks back or a few months back mm-hmm. when when the school first put into place their their plan and all their different benchmarks and everything. Um, we've talked to we talked to Tim Malinsky, the mayor of of Cottonwood, who stood up for a mask mandate and faced.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Verbal assault and and protests, and outside, and protests his house. outside his home with his little girls inside. And I'm hoping that the people who are listening to this can kind of spread it far and wide so that more people can hear the humans, mm-hmm. can hear Terry Fernetti, can hear Tim Alinsky, can hear Joe mm-hmm. Howard. And sure, Terry makes mistakes every now and then. Tim, I don't know if Tim ever makes mistakes, but, um, <laughs> you know, Joe Howard makes mistakes from time to time.
3: Humans we, make mistakes exactly humans
2: make mistakes a hundred per cent, and we are all you know everybody that we talk to around this topic has the best interests of the whole community in mind. nobody's trying to nobody's trying to make other people's businesses collapse nope nobody's trying to make somebody else's kid you know crazy and not not learn their timetables that's not that's not what this is about. It's a really tough situation you know we you know we have never had a situation like this. I mean, we can't even compare it to 1918 because in 1918, the economy was structured completely differently. Almost everybody was living on farms. Almost everybody was living in multi-generational households with, you know, women not going into the workplace.
3: Yeah. I'm From what I understand, there was pushback back then too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The anti-spitting ordinances were mm-hmm. not popular. Come on. <laughs> don't spit. Just don't do it.
3: So, so given all that,
1: Terry, I remember last year you were talking about retiring. Do you wish you had?
3: (laughs) I think about it every day. Uh, October 14th, 2021. (laughs) And, you know, I would love to, um, you know, do something else in the community or something. And I can finally relax, (laughs) read books and,
2: and... well, you know, just thanks, you know, from you know, I don't even care. I'm I'm just going to give you thanks from all of Yavapai County, even the people whether who are like being yeah, not. whether they like it or not, and and please pass it on to to everybody. Everybody, yeah. Um, the more it, you know, the, it's just become really clear. I mean, one lesson, one lesson to take from the last x number of months is that we're a completely divided, you know, completely fractured, totally tribal, completely messed up community. That's one. Frame on it, and my frame, because I get to interview people like you and, like I said, Joe Howard and Tim Mulinsky, is that I see all of the people who are holding it together and who've been holding it together all along that we just kind of took for granted. We people take people for...
1: as individuals who are digging in and working hard, but also people who make up the institutions we depend upon.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Our elections officials. Mm-hmm. We don't even think. We don't even think about elections except for every four years. And those folks are working all year round, every year, making sure that we can have democracy. And you've been working for many, many years, making sure that kids can be as healthy as possible and elders can be as healthy as possible. And I know you guys are going to work so hard getting the vaccine out in a way. And I know there's going to be pushback and questions about that and why are they getting it and not me and all this stuff. And I'm just hoping everybody will be patient and compassionate. You know, it's like, I want that, I want that, um, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine that doesn't need freezing. That should go up onto the res. Mm-hmm. Like if it comes out first, great. Send it to the res. They don't have the infrastructure for a bunch of fridges, you know, put it on the, on the reses down in, in Southern Arizona. That's great. I'll wait. I'll wait. What would you want people to know? What would you want listeners to know? What would you want them to be telling other people, um, as we go forward?
3: Well, I guess I would want them to know that we are working every single day to do the best we can do for our community. We have a team here that an excellent team of of staff that are manning the the phone bank, that are you know part of the communication, the COVID response team. We have an incredible epidemiologist. We have we have a, a huge slate of of contact tracers that have been wonderful to help us out and we will continue to do that. And, um, of course I wish everyone a happy and healthy holiday season and, um, to do everything they can to protect themselves, their families and, and themselves.
2: Hmm. Thank you for that. And is there anything individuals can do anything, any place where we can put our shoulder, to the wheel, to make your job easier to make this all, uh, make it all more likely that we can, that we can end this thing sooner.
3: You know, if they're upset with mandates that aren't happening and things like that, to continue to call city hall, to write your letters, to write to your elected officials, to have your voices, um, be heard. And I know people are frustrated with that too, because sometimes they don't hear anything, but they need to see that volume. So anyway, that's what I would say. I mean, I think it's, the you know, we, we, as the health department cannot influence, we can, we can recommend, um, we're not enforcers and we are just trying to give the best information we possibly can out to the community so that, so that you can make the right decisions for
2: yourselves. And not just for ourselves, but for each other, I would add we need to other. be we need to be making good decisions for each other, yeah, Terry, is there
3: anything else you want to add? I don't know this has been awesome. I appreciate you asking me i'm you know I'm not the end all for public health, but i'm I'm one of them <laughs> oh no this has well, been
2: this has been great
1: yeah, and I just you know every every day when when your email comes i feel good seeing your name there knowing you're on the case and and knowing that it's really hard you know and that it's really important and i'm so grateful that you didn't retire and that you're still in there slugging (laughs) it out
3: well thank you i appreciate that
2: thank you so much for listening to this episode we hope you're getting something useful and long lasting out of it you can find links to helpful pandemic information in the show notes. This week, we include links to the vaccine rollout plans that are open to the public, ideas for safe socializing and fun, and a decision-making guide that you can customize. And, and, and... And? Non-pandemic-related pictures of Clyde. Aww. Go to here-together.us slash pod for the latest episode and show notes, or go to here-together.us slash library for show notes for all of our back catalogs.
1: Were we speaking of science? We're always speaking of We're science. We're always speaking of science, but...
2: Read it like it's written, Kelly.
1: Okay. Speaking of science, be sure to spend Cyber Monday shopping the Here Together podcast merch store. Our one-of-a-kind t-shirts make great gifts for the smart, sassy, sciencey person on your list. The stickers make perfect stocking stuffers, too. Help support this pod project and give the perfect gift. Remember, you can get 30% off if you tell us about a science that you've done in our comments, etc., social, whatnot. So it's a win-win-win situation.
2: You will prove that you are worthy of a 30% discount if you're able to find a way to tell us there you go. about the science that you've done. There's lots of places. There's Instagram, all the places. Tweeters. Yeah. Face slam. <laughs> uh, friend face. Friend face. Yeah. Yep. And we have one more request, one more hint, one more suggestion. If this podcast gives you companionship, solace, or just some helpful information especially during the COVID pandemic, would you leave us a testimonial comment or a review through PodChaser, iTunes, or on our website? We produce this podcast for free with no ads. So it would mean a lot to get your feedback. It would help bolster this project for sure and help other people discover it. Mm-hmm. So go to podchaser.com slash here together to leave a five star rating and or
1: a love note for us.
2: we need more love. Cause
1: you're so dear.
2: Yeah. Oh right. It's about them. It's about them. It's not about us. You're right. They're wonderful. Okay, now on to our interview and conversation with Christine Stewart. Yeah. Good, good, before, yeah. Before we get into that, how are you?
0: I'm doing okay. You know, all things considered, I'm doing okay. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm great. I'm um, I'm in this I feel like I'm in the slog, but um, but I'm doing okay. Our family's is good our family's healthy it's um it's been a a challenging fall with our work and teaching i'm trying to teach two classes online which is tough Mm. i teach an undergraduate epidemiology class and they've been really interested not surprisingly um in that class this year so it's been a really engaged and um, active group despite the fact that we're fully online yeah and nobody's, nobody's, nobody's raising class. their
2: hand and saying, why do we need to learn this?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Why do we need to learn so many details about test sensitivity and specificity and false positives and false negatives and, and all of that and uh positive predictive value, but now they all know why it's important and are all very, very interested in that, uh, that lecture. So,
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we, the first time we talked to you on this podcast was March. It was the very beginning of the first wave. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of what's different for you now, besides all of this, you know, being online, working from home, all of that logistics is what, what's different for you, anything or what's different Um, about you? Huh, that's a good question. I'll start. I'll I'll start because this isn't fair to just sort of say yeah, yeah, I will tell you yeah. that I have realized what a chicken I am. That I'm <laughs> I am I am not and Kelly's shaking her head at me, but like I really don't want to get COVID. Like I am not like Yeah, you know what? I'll do my best to stay safe and if I get it, you know, I'll be fine. Like the idea of suffocating to death. No. Let me go rock climbing. I'll take a rock climbing fall. Fine. You know, let me uh go paddling. Uh you know, I I even rather, you know, die in a car wreck than on a on a ventilator because of some stupid virus. Mm-hmm. I'm I am and I think of myself as relatively brave and I, I usually pride myself in being able to fear the right things. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about how as humans we often fear the wrong things. We fear terrorism and sharks, and sharks when that's like not going to happen, and we don't pay attention to our cholesterol. I'm usually pretty good at fearing the right, the the right. And maybe, maybe that's what this is because maybe this is really the thing. I think it's
1: entirely but, reasonable to respect it.
2: Yeah, I just don't least. normally. I don't normally live in fear. That's not my. That's not usually how I am. And I've been finding myself being afraid a lot, but that's what's different for yeah. me since March. Hi, how are you? Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I'm afraid a lot. What's going on okay. with you? <laughs> um, I so
0: it's I feel like I have a hard time answering that question. Um, I feel like a big a big difference for me is realizing how how this was. I think in March when we talked. I had thought this would be um a few months, and we'd we'd be through it. I thought that we we could come together, we could you know crush the curve and and yes, it might continue circula- circulating at a low level, but I just hadn't realized how how bad it would get and and so that to me is the major sort of point of surprise where I am right now. And frustration and sadness to see what's going on in the the country right now with how rapidly it's taken off. And I, you know, I have, I sometimes say to my friends, I have New Zealand envy right now. Yeah. I was an exchange student in New Zealand when I was in high school. And so my host family is there and I see their posts and I see what's going on in New Zealand. And I have this envy of it's like an alternative universe of where, where could we be? Where could we have been? Had we taken it seriously back in March? Yeah. And that's the point. That's the frustration for me is seeing that. But what I try to do is to, to try to stay positive. I don't always, I mean, a lot of days are not so positive days in my mind. But I try to stay positive and try to think about things that I can do and that what I'm and what I'm doing to help the cause, even if it's not directly there. And for me, teaching my students, teaching my epidemiology class and sharing information with them on a weekly basis um, is very heartening to me. It's it makes me feel good, like I'm I'm doing something useful there. Um, and then I also so you feel
2: kind of purposeful and engaged and, and <laughs> yeah, certainly. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And then I also volunteered to be in one of the COVID vaccine trials, which was also something that I felt that I could do and that made me feel good, um, that I could
2: contribute. Um, what's, what's, that's... What's, what's that been like being a, being a, a guinea pig?
1: Yeah. Do you have to like go out and dangle yourself in public and, no.
0: No, you just live your life the way you normally would live it and they in fact tell you not to take any unnecessary risks. I mean, I do a lot of research myself and I run clinical trials myself with nutrition studies. Um but this is the first time being a volunteer in a um in a clinical trial. So it's it's been as the sort of health research nerd. It's it's nice to be on the other side and see what it's like from the participant perspective. And it's it's been it's been good so far. I mean I had two there were two vaccine visits one month one month apart where I got the the shot, either the shot or the placebo, I don't know which. And then there was a follow-up visit a month later where they drew blood and then um there have been phone calls and an app I had to fill out with my health mm-hmm. status. So it's been easy to participate. And it's been nice to know that, that that has made a difference.
2: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So I like that.
2: Yeah. It's, what's wonderful that there's a little thing, you know, that doesn't, doesn't yeah. require anything of you other than to pull up your sleeve, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it reminds me, we just, we just released last week an interview with Pete Pearson, who the, the kind of the, the point of the interview was his, um, uh, belonging to a, a practice called engaged Buddhism. So, you know, he does Zen Buddhism, but they get off the mat and and mm-hmm. engage in the community. But one of the things he was talking about was recognizing his privilege in that he was able to stay home and do freelance writing. He was able to do a bunch of gardening. You know, so he was just recognizing how comparatively easy the pandemic has been for him. In particular being able to stay home mm-hmm. and just he's already thinking and that he's got me thinking like, because I'm also that mm-hmm. I'm pretty, I'm, I can do podcasts yeah, we've from been home. Super lucky. We've been super lucky. So it's like he's already thinking about, okay, how do I pay this forward? Mm. And he's not, mm-hmm. he's not sure what it'll look like. He's not sure what it'll be, but I just love that he set that intention, but you're already off the hook. You, you, yeah. you, are, <laughs> you are paying it forward by, uh, by being a Guinea pig for the rest of us.
0: Yeah. And I think that helps also there's the, the altruistic side of it, but I also think that there's the, the self-care side of it when it feels like things are overwhelming or that you feel kind of crazy about what's yeah. going on in the world. Powerless. that's when you Powerless. That's, you know, when it's a, when it's good to try to take action, even if it's a small thing in your community or in your life or yeah. um, volunteering in some way, it's, it's help it helps a
2: lot. Right. And It doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't either it doesn't yeah. doesn't have to be completely one hundred percent selfless to be an act yeah. of, of goodness for sure. So one of the things we're we're curious about is just kind of how you and your husband and, and Jillian to whatever extent you involve her, how you all make decisions about uh how you've been making decisions over the last six or eight months about how to stay healthy and, and what kind of Activity to engage in you know whether to wear a mask, whether or not wear a mask what what are some great ways to to be thinking about making decisions, uh, especially given your specialized knowledge?
0: Yeah, well, I think that there's there's a few things to to bear in mind masks well first off, masks are um, a, a great idea they sh- you should be wearing we should all be wearing masks anytime they leave the house to go out in in public.
2: I thought you were um, going to say we, I, th- I thought you were going to say we should be wearing masks on Zoom.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um no, not unless we're in the same room. Um but but they they make a huge difference and it's just a small thing. They're inexpensive. It's um it's something that we can all be doing to protect ourselves and to protect our neighbors and our community. And fortunately here in California masks are pretty universal. I mean, it, people wear them certainly anytime they're indoors like going grocery shopping or going to the stores, they're required and and people are pretty good about it. Must be nice. Um, yeah, it's I'm privileged living in California. So that's number 1, but then beyond that, we we think about things in our in like a risk gradient perspective. So outdoors is safer than indoors for getting together with anyone outside of our family. You know, my my husband gets together with a friend of his to go fishing in the morning sometimes, and so they go out to the river and they're far apart and they're outdoors. Or one of our one of our friends set up an outdoor ping pong table in their backyard. Again, like a distant but friendly social way to get together outdoors. So, and then a group of us got together in the park to go to dance two weeks ago. So that was a nice way to get together with a little bit of a group and we danced in the park,
2: which was- fun. So you just brought a boombox out there or something and- Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so outdoors is safer than indoors. Smaller groups are safer than bigger groups. So if you are going to get together with someone outside of your own household, keep it small Keep it keep it cozy, or not cozy in the sense that you're close together, but at a big party of people.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and that's just
2: because it's a dice roll, right? It's like the more people you you have in your backyard or in your house, the more likely mm-hmm. somebody there will be probably right. asymptomatically contagious.
0: Exactly. So the more contact you have, the more your risk increases because every person that you come into contact with, they have their own social network and their own bubble that they live in. And, and so it's not just them that you're coming into contact with, you're coming into contact with all of their contacts in, in essence. So the smaller you can keep your, your bubble and your contacts the better off you be, the lower
2: your risk. So if you're spending more than more than 15, 20 minutes, you know, with somebody, you're essentially with their bubble, especially yeah. if especially if you're maskless.
0: Um, I wouldn't do this maskless. At all. Um, yeah. I would, no. Yeah. I mean, I think that still having a mask on is, is a good idea in general, but having, yeah. So outdoors with a small group of folks, you know, if you wanted to sit together around the fire or something, in your backyard. Um, You can do that. You can do that pretty much six feet apart, Mm -hmm. um, but still have an opportunity to be social. But again, you have to think about your own comfort level too, and your anxiety level. And, um, and what, um, what, what would make you feel safe and meet your health needs, but also your uh, mental health your physical health needs as well as your mental health needs. It is a bit of a
2: a balance. Because everybody's got everybody's got a different risk tolerance and everybody's got a different right. social need. Well I think that's I think what part of what I'm hearing is is not only kind of being smart and careful, but being creative. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of people are struggling with is like if I can't have if I can't have, you know, normal Thanksgiving Right. If you're telling yeah. me I have to stay home and do nothing and be lonely, then I'm just going to go risk it and go yeah, be no. with mom and dad.
1: It's like, let's get creative. I'm, I'm really curious now. I want to go get online and find out what, what people are doing to, you know, to make it different, but still safe. Right. And see what all kinds of creative solutions people are coming up with.
2: Yeah. And you know, I hear, yeah. a bu- I hear a bunch of friends who because we used to run some music festivals you know, I know a bunch of people who are like, "Oh my God, I can't take it anymore. I need to go out dancing." And yeah, they can just take a boombox to the park. They don't have to go to a bar. Yeah. So looking for, looking forward a little bit, I, I know that that infectious disease epidemiology is not your specialization, but you've mm-hmm. been you've worked all around the world in rolling out health initiatives, studying how you know small changes or big changes can improve health. And I'm kind of curious with your background, seeing things get rolled out like that, what you think we're going to see as we roll out the vaccine over the next few months?
0: Well, I I don't know exactly what the plans are because um, they're still in discussion. And from what I understand, there'll be a set of Recommendations that will come out from the federal government, but states and local municipalities will have leeway to make their own decisions. So, um, there there could be local variation. That, that said, though, um, my understanding is that the um, the one of the leading um, vaccine companies that has uh, pretty good evidence from their efficacy trials. Um, they're, they've already applied for FDA approval for emergency use authorization to be able to start distributing the vaccine.
2: That's the Pfizer vaccine.
0: Yeah, the Pfizer vaccine. Um, the second company that um, has good evidence is Moderna. Um, that happens to be the trial that I'm a volunteer in is the Moderna trial. Um,
2: do, you, do, you have like a, do you have like a Moderna jersey? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I there's other, other, other people with a Pfizer jersey,
0: yeah. <laughs> Baby, I have a tote. Yeah, a tote. Oh, there we go. There <laughs> yeah. we go. But anyway, so they've they've applied for that um, authorization, and but the they're not waiting for the authorization to produce the vaccine. They already have millions of doses that have been produced, Oh. and they have them pre-positioned around the country. It's theoretically possible. No, I don't know if it'll happen, but it's theoretically possible that they could get approval as early as mid-December and start vaccinating people the next day. You know, what the federal government has started to do is lay out a framework for prioritization because theres not um, there aren't enough doses for everybody to get vaccinated all at once. And so, the general framework is that frontline healthcare workers would get first priority. People with underlying health conditions might get first priority. Those who are at very high risk. or those Folks who living live. in
2: nursing homes. Nursing
0: and- homes, uh, exactly. And then there's a tier system that sort of goes down the priority list to eventually the general public You know, younger people with no underlying health conditions or whose jobs do not put them in close contact with someone who might be might likely be infected. The vaccine, I will imagine, I imagine would be rolled out in those kinds of phases Mm -hmm. um, with information coming out from state and local health departments to um, promote and encourage people to come in to get the vaccine as soon as it's available for their kind of priority tier. Their tier. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I imagine it. But like I said, that's, it's all still a work in progress. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: You haven't been yeah. on the phone. You haven't been on the phone with Ron no. Klain today. So you're not, no. yeah. No. Yeah.
0: No, I have no insider knowledge. Yeah. So. yeah.
2: Well, no, this yeah. is great. I mean, I I think I'm I'm curious what you think about this, whether or not there's any role for individuals to play in, you know, making sure that this happens well, that we get the coverage that we need, and that there's equity?
0: So I think that um, one of the the concerns is that there'll be, um, you know, already in the U.S., there's vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. So there's a concern that there will be hesitancy for people to get the COVID vaccine, especially because of the way that it's been politicized. Um, some people on either side may distrust the process that has led to the development of the vaccine or the, um, the approval process yeah. for the, the vaccine. And so I think that one thing that's very important for people to understand is that this, this process has the, the process for Pfizer and for Moderna, um, releasing their results has been independent and it's not, it was those, um, scientific evaluations of the efficacy of the vaccine were not were not influenced by political forces. And the FDA approval process is being managed by staff scientists, career scientists, um, who don't really have any vested interests, per se, other than the vested interest in wanting to make, help all of us be healthy and get back to normal life. So, yeah. Um, I feel I feel comfortable with the process as it's been going on now. Um, And so I hope that people will understand that um, that it is a safe and efficacious vaccine. It's just just to make it
2: just to make it really simple language. It's going to make you safer and it's not going to kill you.
0: Right. It's going to make you safer and it's not going to kill you. It may make your arm sore. Uh, You You might. you might get a fever after the dose. It, that At least that was my reaction. I don't normally get a fever after a vaccine, but I got one after the second dose. Uh-huh. Like I said, I could have been a placebo. I I still don't know which group I was in. But just to be aware that there's those minor side effects that have been reported in both trials, but all things considered, you know, speaking for myself now, I'd take that any day. Over, oh my God
2: over yeah. A yeah. yeah when you think uh, if you said, oh, yeah. your arm's gonna yeah. be sore and you might get a fever I'm like, yeah, that's yes, gonna please. be a good sign. Right. like give me that you know it's like when you when you yeah. work out and your arms are sore afterward, it's like yes, I did yeah. something. oh I'm look I'm really looking yeah. forward to that
0: yeah <laughs> so uh, that's the thing that I that I hope that we can communicate what I what I worry about a little bit is with the political transition that's going on right now. Um, there hasn't been as much coordination on the education and public um, awareness raising mm. and information campaigns that I I wish that um, would be happening. Yeah. So I'm a little worried that people won't um, hear the good news as much and won't be informed about the benefits as much. And so I think that That's an opportunity for us to communicate through our social networks to be able to um, explain to friends and family. that. So
2: they're going to hear on Facebook about the one kid who threw up after having the after having the vaccine or the one person who got who had a bad reaction or
0: whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's natural for people to be nervous and skeptical of something that they don't know um, that they haven't seen before. So I understand hesitancy. um, Yeah. And I understand if people, um, you know, hear from friends or family, well, I'm not getting this because I don't know what um, yeah. the process that led to it. But but so, I think that's something that we can do with. that we can address with better communication so people know what, what to expect.
2: Yeah, and then I'm yeah. curious. And then when I'm, I hadn't really thought about this, when we first asked you to talk to us. Uh, just a few days ago, but as I was thinking about it more, I was just really curious whether you see any analogy between, you know, kind of the divide between Western or Western trained epidemiologists coming into a region of Nepal and saying, here, we've got this idea that we think is going to make your kids healthier. And the same thing across this political and almost – knowledge divide and i don't mean that people are dumb but just that there's you know these knowledge silos now in our country uh do you see an analogy there and are there techniques that, that get used in in international public health that maybe we need to use here in america
1: to get people to uh, to say yes and accept and yeah. Yeah. engage
2: with yeah and to go get two shots health, and, yeah yeah, yeah, health procedure
0: yeah i mean I uh, like so I think that like I said a second ago I think that um people generally are skeptical of new things that they haven't seen before um especially and the the more sort of invasive that the thing is the more hesitant I think people are you know so if it's if it's an injection it's something that's perceived to be more invasive than than other things that you might do or see in your general life. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that it's then on um, that it's really important to be honest and transparent and clear in the way that information is presented to people, mm. so that they can make informed decisions. So that's what's what's really important right now with with addressing the vaccine hesitancy. I think there are. Disinformation campaigns that are very active right now about trying to make people scared and nervous about vaccines in general. You know, vaccines are not typically money makers for pharmaceutical companies. Um, they're not typically blockbuster bu- drugs for them. Um, they don't tend to make a ton of money off of general vaccines. It it, it actually a lot of vaccines receive a lot of federal subsidies because. Otherwise, they just wouldn't they wouldn't be around. But there's such a benefit from from an individual as well as public health perspective that it's worth worth doing.
2: Yeah. So oh God, I've so, I, I I I so many, I always come so back many to questions. Clear. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah I do, but I, you know, we I don't want to dive into it, but maybe some other time. You know, just you, you said a misinformation campaign, and that uh, mm-hmm. I'm really curious who benefits from those campaigns. But anyway. Yeah. Um, to back back to you clear clear and honest and repeated information is kind of what I'm hearing from you is what we need to to help folks get over that vaccine hesitancy. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I know, I think what you mm-hmm. did too is just, you know, empathizing yeah. a little bit with like, yeah, a needle seems invasive. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What do you think about an yeah. intubation? What do you think about having yeah. a, having yeah. a breathing tube shoved down past your trachea? Well, I How's mean, that sound? I
1: got my flu shot a few days ago and it, you know, I, the guy is good. I barely felt it. Yeah. I barely felt it.
2: Yeah. So it's yeah. like,
1: come on, people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was just going to say, hopefully people mm-hmm. listening are like, so I was oh, just well, I've, say- I've heard an interview with somebody who was in the trial. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard an interview yeah. with somebody who, you know, who got stabbed twice. And and who was willing
1: it. to do it before we knew the answers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Exactly we did interview yeah. a friend of uh, a friend of Kelly's who's an African-American lady. And she's like, y'all white people try it first. We've had too I know. many times stuff's been tried on us. I'm like, all right, we'll get, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yep.
0: Yeah. But I, I will also say that, um, the vaccine, uh, companies, uh, especially both Pfizer and Moderna, I think have, have really gone out of their way to try to, recruit minority groups to participate in the study be, uh, for important reasons. Because if we just test drugs and historically, you know, going back 50 years, drugs were just tested on white men. And so we didn't have good data on how well they performed among other groups. And and so there's a much more of a movement nowadays to try to in- Make our research populations more representative, so that the results are applicable to a broad, broader array and more diverse groups. Yeah, and and so you know you can go onto the the websites for these companies and they have the racial ethnic breakdown of the study populations, um, so you can see which you know the makeup of of the trial group and so it's not just that it's been Caucasians that have been participating in this that the results are really broadly applicable to a, a wide array of
2: folks that's great yeah. so, so the you know so the initial question was as you know what can we do as individuals and and you know it sounds like you know Help each other get over any vaccine hesitancy that that mm-hmm. might have. Help pass um, along good information. Pass along good yeah. information. Don't pass along the story about the one kid who threw up after they got the vaccine. You know, doesn't say anything in yeah. there about how they ate a pound of Oreos mm-hmm. uh, right after the vaccine. But yeah, what what is there anything else that individuals can do or should or should do?
0: Um, I also think, as I as I said, I think that misinformation is. Rampant out there, and and sensationalistic media and sensationalistic information is appealing in a lot of ways. But we, you really want to? I, I try to um, take a step back and think before posting and sharing. Um, that's
2: because cr- that's some crazy. Of that stuff, that's insane. Yeah. How do you do that?
0: <laughs> yeah. So we want to try to. Um, Stop, also stop the spread of misinformation on social media. And yeah. so that's another thing that we can all be doing as individuals is Great. to try to share fact-checked information whenever possible, information from reputable sources. I also like to think about what's the motivation of the person that put out this information? What are they trying to communicate? Um, because information can be misleading and um, I like to try to think about what the motivation is of the person that originally wrote it or right. sharing it. And I think that's
2: also something we can, we can try to do. Yep. Are you trying to educate me or are you trying to just make me click on something, trying to get me yeah. outraged so I mm-hmm. stay on the page yeah. longer? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And then, so one specific question I have for you, cause we, I mentioned equity before and I, and I mentioned it partly because yeah. you posted, uh, you know, an example of this tier system for rolling out uh, vaccines, uh, from the, um, Um,
0: was that the national academies,
2: national academy of science? Yeah. 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 And one thing it says on that little graphic is that equity underlies all of that in their, in their plan. And that's, you know, that, that's not necessarily the plan that's going to get adopted by the CDC or by our County. Um, but I just have a really, does it matter if somebody like me, you know, I'm 54 years old, um, Overweight. I've got some asthma, but I'm staying home. Does it make any difference if I say, you know what, let let that vaccine get to the the Navajo uh, guy who's got to drive a bus for the school up on the Navajo Res? Does do individual acts of uh, sort of patience and forbearance? Do you think that will have any effect on? Uh, kind of how this gets rolled out in a, in a more equitable fashion. I should mention I'm white for those people who can't see me. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think that what um, these these plans that will be put together, and again, I, just to reiterate, I don't have any insider knowledge, but this is just how I suspect the she keeps, process She will keeps
2: work. saying that. I'm wondering if she yeah. she doff yeah. complain too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So... What I imagine will happen is that state and local uh, public health organizations like state health departments or um, or county level health departments will have um, discussions and they will have a, a um, playbook or a roadmap for how they plan to roll out the the vaccine in a tiered system that's locally adapted to local needs. Yeah. So. Um, some of that guidance will come down from your uh, your local government agencies yep so it won't be up to you to make a decision per se about what you know whether to let others go ahead or whether yeah. to hold back but what i will say is that it's it's worth understanding what the process is to try when when um, Working with your local health department and understanding how they're making the decisions that they're making um, that they are trying to be equitable they're trying to be fair they're trying to serve those at greatest need and that's underlying their decisions you know you could imagine some some people if they're not if they're not uh, thinking about it per se, or they haven't thought about it, they might say, "Well, why can't I go? Ahead? Why can't I just jump ahead? Why can't I get this vaccine?"
2: Right. Somebody, and, somebody who's as scared and anxious as I am might might want to yeah. get in front. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so i th- I think we have to understand where the perspective of where the public health uh, leaders are going to be coming from, as well as what other members of the community will want. And great. Yeah.
2: Great. And it just makes me think about like, you know, what we have to do to rebuild trust. And the word trust keeps coming up on this podcast. It keeps coming up in some of the other work that I'm doing. Just, you know, I just feel so sad that trust has broken down so much that people don't trust trust. Public health experts, and sure, they've made mistakes. And you know, Elise, who's an incredibly intelligent, incredibly engaged, very strong—you know, African American woman—is like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> totally understand why she would would be that way. But if we can't if we can't trust, you know, we're not going to get through this. And so, one of the things that we that we're going to do as a podcast is we'll put the link to uh, to the PDF for Arizona. That's that's the Arizona plan as it stands. Now I'm sure it'll keep changing. Yeah, and we just encourage everybody who doesn't live in Yavapai County to to find the resources uh, for your area and see if you can't uh, gin up some mm-hmm. some trust. Transparency is really hard for organizations to create. It, it takes a little active work on our part to actually seek out good information rather than just the, the stuff that gets fed to us. Kind of before we started officially recording, I was complaining because I don't get to see Christine's awesome Facebook feed that's full of really useful information. Right. Instead, I get, I get information from people who I don't like and I interact with them. So Facebook thinks, because I disagree with them, mm-hmm. so Facebook thinks I want to see their posts. I'm like, come on, man. Just give me Christine stuff. That's what I want. You listening Mark Zuckerberg?
0: <laughs> yeah. Anything well else? Yeah, I mean there's there's some resources I link to on my Facebook page. Um uh, one of them that I really like is that is uh the Dear Pandemic um, Facebook feed and they also have Twitter. Ah. Um, and I'm not so this sure about is, Instagram. this is
2: like Dear Abby but
0: yeah. With, yeah, hand, can,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it's run got run by um, a group of women, they call themselves the nerdy girls. And they, um, they do just a fantastic job, uh, ask, answering questions and providing really evidence based information out there and explaining when the evidence is not clear yet. And what's being done to try to fill in gaps so that we can have clarity in the future. So, if you're looking for a good source, Dear Pandemic is really good, and then another one that I like is COVID-101, which also has a Facebook page and a Twitter feed. That's run by a friend of mine, someone I know out of uh, George Washington University, and she's been trying to put out clear and evidence-based information about
2: COVID. Awesome. We'll put the we'll put yeah. links to all that in the yeah, show that's notes. that's really helpful.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And we just encourage everybody to yeah, get get smart. You know, this is yeah. uh our our hotties, our here together folks are smart folks and let's let's get educated yeah. and uh and be patient. It's still gonna take a little yes. while, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think um while it's in it's amazing how fast the vaccine development process has happened. I think it'll be a few months before we all are able to Get access to the vaccine, um, so it's good to have patience and think yeah. about this as a bit of a marathon
2: instead of a sprint. Yeah. I think it, we, you probably said exactly that way back in March—and yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. you know—and and unfortunately, too many of us thought it was a thought it was a sprint. And uh yeah. and most of us didn't even run the full hundred yards. Mm-mm. Most of us <laughs> most of us ran like seventy-five yards, like, ah, I can see the tape from here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's it's and and you know, and unfortunately our political leaders are like, Yeah, you did great. Well done. Good job. You Let's ran, open everything. You ran seventy-five cool. yards. Good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but anyway, yeah, I'm, you know, I I I'm I feel really hopeful and especially when I talk to you, I feel really hopeful. And I I know that uh we're not done.
0: Yeah. It's no. it's
2: it's not gonna every be every time
0: every time I hear the scientists will so um participate in conference calls or webinars or learn about the, the work that's been going on that's been going on and it's it's incredible and it's in it's really um makes me feel hopeful and excited about what's what's being done and what's coming. And that's what keeps me going. Um, even though what else is going on around us and the political discord and yeah. the state of the pandemic right now is disheartening, yeah. I think to think about that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's a better there are better days ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. And
2: it's and it's science for the win. Despite all of the political upheaval, mm-hmm. despite the 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 politicization of mask wearing, it's science science for the win. Manly, you guys all sequenced that thing in record time. You know, vaccines that normally take four years to develop took months. This is crazy. That's just, that's just outstanding. And, and I know you're not directly involved. You keep saying that over and over again. That you don't have any insider knowledge. but You're just, our
1: stand-in. Just you're, you're <laughs> our stand-in. Can we
2: just say thank you, yeah. science? You thank can you. pass thank it you, along. Thank you, science. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll pass it on. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah,
0: I, yeah. I, I will accept that on the behalf of science.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christine, thank you so much uh, for taking the time tonight and kind of responding at the last minute to a, to a podcast interview. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I feel uh, excited and, and hopeful. Um, and I started this conversation just like, oh, our country sucks. And yes, there are some parts of our, of our country that I'm not proud of, but really proud of the, of the people who make this science work. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm excited by what's, what's happening and what's going on. So. Great. Yeah.
2: Anything else, Kelly? Nope. Nope. All right. We're going to go bake some fresh bread.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, it was great chatting with you. Thanks for the invitation to come and join you guys again.
1: It was good seeing
2: you. Thank you, Christine.
1: I love talking to people who know what the hell they're talking about. Do you know what I mean?
2: I do. I do. It can get pretty uh, daunting otherwise, the, the scrum of, of Twitter and Facebook and all the, mis- the misinformation. Yeah. Um, some of it's deliberate misinformation. Some of it's just people passing on stuff that's not quite yeah. legit. Willful yeah. ignorance and whatnot
1: that mm-hmm. there's been so much of lately to talk to people mm-hmm. who are really sharp and doing their best to make things better for other people often at the expense of of, you know, just general politeness. Yeah. You know, toward them.
2: Yeah. I mean, we talked about how um, Terry didn't have a day off from March through June or July or something like that.
1: I, I mean, it was super intense for me for five months. And it was the library. Nobody was going to die one way or the other. But her job, you know, is so important to communicate with the public about what the health department's doing. The pressure is just staggering. Yeah. Yeah. And she has done it, she looked fantastic.
2: I was I was
1: She I did was not sure. look like she had been beaten up for like eight, nine, ten months. She didn't. She looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I want some of what she's having. But I'm I'm guessing she's ready for a long, luxurious vacation. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and you know, Christine Stewart is just uh, like you said, just really Very well-educated and -hmm. and the perfect person to talk to about this, even though she keeps saying she doesn't have any inside information.
1: Well, I think it's, you know, like smart people don't often understand how little other people know about what they know about. Right. Right. You know, because they're so used to knowing about it. Right. So it might seem like no big deal to them. Right. But when they share it with the rest of us, we're like, oh, my God.
2: Is that, is that part of the Dunning-Kruger effect? That smart it's kind of that's, the that's flip smart, side
1: of it, isn't it?
2: Smart people think that they're not that smart because they know how much there is to know. Right. And they don't know at all.
1: My philo- I took this great philosophy class in junior college and, and my philosophy teacher called it the circle of knowledge. And so if what you know is a dot, say like a two inch dot, Yeah. the circumference of that is whatever the formula of the circumference makes it. Yeah. But if you're what you know is a six inch dot, then what you don't know is considerably more. So what you know that you don't know is the circle around the dot
2: is the edge.
1: It's the edge. It's the penumbra.
2: And that's kind of, I'm going to make a segue now. It's going to seem a little awkward, but it's, just it's kind of, the, it. it's the flip side of what we're going to present to you right now. Mm-hmm. This is our due as science. So that would, the conversation we just had was all about kind of acknowledging, not knowing and having mm-hmm. the burden of decision-making the burden, you know, placed, placed on us, uh, right, but we're but- going to, we're going to take a, some of the burden off of you if you want. Mm-hmm. So what we're, what we're offering you is is as a science is you know, figure out a way to make decisions for yourself and your family and your loved ones over the next few months that don't depend on making decisions in the moment. Because Mm -hmm. for one, that's exhausting. We get what's literally called decision fatigue because making decisions literally takes glucose in our brain. And we get tired and we get run down and we start making not great decisions. And when we're stressed and when we have cortisol on board, it is less possible to make good decisions. So that's two reasons that you need to make decisions ahead of time. The other reason is that there are all these social factors that come into decision-making that are kind of emotional, that are social, that influence us not always in the right way. And the example of that in our lives is, my mom came over for lunch a few weeks ago. She wore a mask almost the entire time. I didn't think to wear a mask in my own house around my mom who's got COPD. And, you know, really doesn't need to get uh, uh, COVID. And after a little while, she took off her mask too.
1: Right. Because that's kind of like the social, she was adjusting to the social norm, yeah, which we had not talked about ahead of time. We had not thought about ahead of time. And we will default to what feels more comfortable, not necessarily what is the best course of action.
2: Right. And so given the changeable nature of the COVID pandemic over the next few months, and given that we're already fatigued, we're already stressed,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Kelly and I put together a COVID decision-making matrix for us for the next few months. And it has a whole list of different behaviors, whether whether it's going into a store to go shopping, whether it's to go traveling, whether it's to uh, interact and be social, a whole bunch of different areas that we need to instead of having to make decisions about, can just kind of have some standards, some restrictions if you will. And how restricted we are in those behaviors depends on where the pandemic is and the measure we used was the percent positivity of the tests for that week in Yavapai County. So the lower the percent positivity, the less restrictions. Right. Makes sense. It makes sense, right? You can go into the grocery store with a mask on.
1: Yeah. If the rate's like 2% or something, you're less likely to come across people who have it and maybe it's not quite so virulent and whatnot.
2: Yep. Yep. If the percent positivity is is high, is over 5%, then we're going to be ordering our groceries and picking them up curbside. We're not going to be doing any kind of social interactions. Everything's going to be on Zoom. We're not going to be doing any travel, et cetera. So we've made all of these decisions ahead of time. And by tagging them to sort of objective data, we don't have to wrangle over it. We don't have to Mm -hmm. decide how we feel about it in the moment. We don't have to decide if we're up for it. And it depersonalizes these decisions so that it's just a done deal. It's like having a weekly menu. It's like Mm -hmm. having a shopping list at the grocery store. It's like having a budget. Yeah. Do I get to buy that fancy new camera? Not until not savings reaches this point. The right? are
1: not such. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So don't allow. We're actually going to we're actually going to give you a copy of this Google Doc that you should be able to copy and customize and use for yourself. It'll be in the show notes. We highly recommend everybody think about how to make these decisions ahead of time, so you can make good ones now mm-hmm. when you're not stressed, when you're not exhausted and then when we are stressed and exhausted and it's even darker than it is now
1: right or you know if if people are coming for christmas or winter holidays whatever
2: right you could conceivably send this to anybody who was mm-hmm. going to come visit you and say this is how this, this is, is how we roll, be, yeah. Although we're, we're, we're totally on board with the CDC. We don't think anybody should be traveling Mm-mm. for the holidays. Let's no. wait, let's wait, let's get vaccinated.
1: But this is a, a tool that can help you make those decisions and communicate those decisions to other people.
2: Excellent. So we hope you find this useful. Let us know what you think about it. If you have improvements to it, please Ooh, please tell know.
1: us, yes. Please
2: let me know. We'll, we'll improve it. Get in the comments. So a reminder, get some gear from our pod shop and give it to your favorite quirky nephew. Or yourself. Or yourself. Mm -hmm. Or all three.
1: All three. Figure out how to socialize with your favorite folks and still stay well. This COVID thing is no joke. Take good care of yourself.
2: Yes, please. We want more hotties at the end of this. Exactly. We don't want fewer hotties. And follow us on Instagram at rocketfeather1.
1: And join us in the Rocket Feather, the Rocket Feather. We have not changed the template, template, the Here Together Community Lab on Facebook.
2: Great. This is Charles Matthews.
1: And Kelly Roberge wishing you safety and connection in equal measure. We love you.
2: We love you. The Here Together Podcast is a project of Rocket Feather Creative.